Welcome to Destination Murder, the true crime podcast. Each week, the hosts, that's us, BFS Megan and Tegan, cover stories from a new part of the world. Get ready to combat your travel bug and feed your true crime obsession. Hello, Tegan. Welcome back. Welcome back to Destination Murder. Oh my god, it feels like it's been forever since we've recorded. and It does. (laughs) It's only been a week. I know. Well, two weeks. The last time we recorded was in the heat wave. Um, So I'm happy that's over. Listen, I'm not built for that heat. If a heat wave comes back again, I am leaving. (laughs) I'm not doing it anymore. It was too much. My parents' house got up to 41 degrees. So did my house. It's insane. It is disgusting. Yeah. I will never complain about it being too hot again. Like, yeah. this past week, it's been, like, between 27 to 29 degrees most of the days, and that felt, like, cold. Yeah. Like, it was still a little bit warm, but I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy it's so cold now. Yeah, it's like, wow, I can actually sleep at night. What a yeah. crazy thing. I know. And that's, like, not normal for this time of year where we live. Like, that's way hotter. Usually in July, it's between 22 to 27. Yeah. And then we'll have one really hot week where it gets over 30. Yeah. Like, and by getting over 30, we're talking, like, 31, oh, 32. Yeah. Like, 33 in the valley, like, if you're pushing it. But... Yeah. Like, for reference, before we had the heat wave, the city of Vancouver's all-time heat record was 33 degrees. Now, thanks to the heat wave, it's, like, 42 degrees. It's stupid. It's insane. Yep. Um, But anyways, uh, this is not a heat talk podcast. This is Destination Murder, the podcast where we cover true crime cases from all around the world. Uh, Follow us on Instagram. (laughs) I was like, how do we record again? (laughs) Uh, follow us on Instagram at Destination Murder Pod. Uh, we do have Twitter at Dust underscore Murder, and Facebook is just Destination Murder. We don't update them very regularly. Uh, mainly just Instagram. Yeah. But uh, glad you're here. Also, leave us a review, subscribe, rate, review, etc. Please. Do it all. <laughs> we love it. We love to hear it. We love to see it. Uh, it gives us little sparks of joy. let's us know that you care um should we jump right into our cases this week i think we should i think i'm first this week i think so Mm -hmm. Alrighty, Uh, let's get into it megan okay so i'm taking you all to saint lucia today i think it's saint lucia you could also perhaps pronounce it as saint lucia but I've only ever heard it pronounced St. Lucia, yeah. so that's how I'm going to say it. I'm like 99.999% sure that it's St. Lucia. Um, yeah. Take us to our tropical destination with white sandy beaches where I wish we were right now. <laughs> it's probably only 20, uh, 25 to 30 degrees there. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay, wait. One more thing before we jump into the case. Um, I'm pretty sure I sent you the TikTok, but there was this guy... <laughs> talking about the heat wave in Vancouver and I was dying watching it he was like all these people keep saying well it's that hot in Arizona well like (laughs) 
it's not my fault you decided to live near devil's butt. Like, <laughs> he's like, our houses are meant to build, like, trap in heat because it's so cold here. Like, nobody yeah. has AC. They're like, why don't you wear your stupid little summer wear and wear it in the middle of winter here and see how you feel and stop comparing things and complaining. I was, ugh. I saw that one too. Yeah, you did send it to me. I love so it. Funny. I think about it all the time now. But anyways, off to St. Lucia. Okay, so my sources for this week are justiceforroger.com, stlucialoopnews.com, BBC, and Wikipedia. So just quickly about St. Lucia. St. Lucia is an island country in the Caribbean in the West Indies Islands to be specific. It's located nearby the islands of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Martinique, and Barbados. It is the only sovereign nation in the world to be named after a woman named after the Catholic Saint St. Lucia. The island's indigenous people are the Caribs, who are indigenous to many of the islands in the West Indies. However, in the 1600s, Europeans came to the island and began its colonization. First colonized by the French and then the English, St. Lucia was nicknamed Helen of the West after Helen of Troy because England and France were constantly at war over it. And with each war, the countries would lay claim over St. Lucia going back and forth over the years. As such, today the main language is English, but many people also speak St. Lucian Creole French. In the 18th century, the island became home to many British sugar plantations on which enslaved people stolen from Africa were forced into labor for British plantation owners until the abolition of slavery in the British Empire in 1833. St. Lucia earned its independence from Britain in 1979 and entered into the Commonwealth of Nations, of which Canada is a part of, and many other nations. The island of St. Lucia is absolutely stunning. Tourists from around the world come to St. Lucia for its tropical climate, white sandy beaches, tropical rainforests, and the world's only drive-in volcano. Wait, what? Yeah, it's a drive-in volcano. I couldn't find any, like, pictures of the actual thing, but you can book a volcano tour, and it, like, takes you, I guess there's a drive-in route inside the volcano, or, like, right near the volcano, and there's, like, mud baths in, and, like, sulfur baths in there. Um, <laughs> it looks really cool. Add that to our bucket list of things to do. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I am doing the murder of Roger Pratt in St. Lucia. In January 2014, Roger Pratt and his wife Margaret were sailing around the world in their sailboat, the Magnetic Attraction. Roger was a retired engineer and Margaret was an accountant. They'd been together since they were teenagers. They are from Warwickshire. Warwickshire. Warwickshire, I think is how you pronounce it. Sorry for all our English listeners uh, in England. And they were both in their early 60s and had just retired. In June of 2013, six months beforehand, the two had set sail from Suffolk in England for a trip around the world, the trip of a lifetime. The two were avid sailors and had been spending their weekends sailing for the past couple of decades. They had been meticulously planning and saving to purchase the magnetic attraction with plans to sail it around the world at retirement. In late December 2013, Robert and Margaret had just completed the 23-day-long crossing of the Atlantic Ocean and arrived in the Caribbean. On New Year's Eve, the couple, sent, the couple left the island of Martinique and sailed over to Rodney Bay, St. Lucia, mooring their boat in the bay. 
They'd be spending the next couple of weeks exploring the island, meeting fellow sailors, and scuba diving the breathtaking coral reefs. They sailed from Rodney Bay to Soufrière to Villefort in mid-January. They celebrated Margaret's birthday in St. Lucia, enjoying themselves on the sailboat and taking the dinghy out onto shore to explore the island. Maybe they went through the drive through volcano, perhaps? On the night of January 17th, 2014, the couple returned from the mainland to their sailboat. From 9.30 to 10 p.m., Margaret did some work and updated the blog she was writing for their friends and family back home to update them on their trip before both of them settled in to go to sleep. Around midnight, though, they heard movement on the deck above them. There was somebody on board their boat. Roger got up out of bed, whispering to his wife that he was going to go check on it. He went up to open the hatchet as Margaret followed behind him. Roger put his head out of the hatch to up onto the top deck and Margaret heard him shout, go away, just go away. On the top deck were four men with bandanas covering the lower half of their faces. Pirates. When they saw Robert and Margaret, they attacked them. I think at some point, Robert was pulled up onto the deck of the sailboat by the men. Uh, Margaret was jerked down into the boat by the men and placed in a headlock by one, while another punched her in the head, face, and shoulders, while Margaret furiously tried as hard as possible to punch and kick him back. Roger was undergoing a similar attack, taking blows from the pirates while trying to wrestle him away from the boat. One of the men insulting Margaret shouted at her, Where's the effing money? To which she replied back, screaming and crying, There is no money. The struggle went on with Richard on the top deck and Margaret being held below deck. The attackers then entered the salon of the boat, searching it for valuables and coming out with Margaret's handbag, a charger, and a laptop. Once the men had the valuables, one said something to another in a language Margaret didn't understand. They looked a little bit shocked and concerned because immediately their demeanor changed and Margaret's attackers stopped beating her and the men all fled off the boat. After the men left, Margaret realized she was alone on her ship. She had no idea where Roger was. She screamed for him, yelling out Roger's name, but hearing nothing back. She dropped the dinghy into the water for Roger to swim onto, figuring he was in the water somewhere around the boat before she scrambled to the ship's radio and made a mayday call, to which the boats nearby her immediately came to her help. But crackling from the radio shortly afterwards, she heard the authorities say, We found a male floating, face down. Authorities pulled Roger from the water and took him and Margaret into an ambulance, racing them to the hospital. Margaret held Roger's hand to the ambulance. His hand was cold, he was unconscious, and his legs were starting to turn a deep shade of purple. When they got to the hospital, a doctor raced out to see them. Roger was pronounced dead by the doctor. He had received a blow to the head by his attackers and had been thrown from the boat into the water. Whether the blow had killed him or not, I'm not sure, but either way, he then went into the water face down, unconscious, not able to get any air. That's so sad. I know. I don't want to, like, spoil anything, but do we think that they ran off the boat because they realized that they accidentally killed him? And then I like, think so. I think that's what happened, oh, yeah. goodness. Authorities were quick to act and hunt down the suspects. Not even a month later, by February 25th, 2014, four young local men, all in their 20s, were in police custody and about to be charged after they had confessed to robbery and Robert's murder. Richie Kiern, Germain Jones, Kervin Durveau, and Fannis Joseph were the four men arrested. However, with one of the highest murder rates in the world, so the 16th highest murder rate, and not very many inhabitants on the small island, the court system of St. Lucia was backlogged. 
The men charged with Robert's murder sat in prison for years, not seeing trial. Margaret was obviously frustrated with this. She championed the fight for justice for Robert and met with St. Lucia Prime Minister, the police, and and the tourism ministry, attempting to get Robert's case sped up. But after the initial investigation, things went silent on St. Lucia's end. Margaret didn't hear anything from St. Lucian authorities or her lawyer down there for years. In 2017, Margaret got got some bad news. She started to hear rumors that the DNA evidence from Roger's case had been somehow contaminated and that the four men's lawyers were challenging their confession, saying they weren't valid. How does that even happen? I hate that. Um, So, of course, this frustrated Margaret further. Not only was she waiting years for Robert's case to go to trial and for him to get justice, but she was concerned and sorry for the men who had been waiting for trial for over three years now. In 2017, Margaret said, quote, I don't feel poisonous against the men at all. They are suffering, too. I think it all went horribly wrong. I think they want their closure, too. I'm very sorry for them. A satisfactory outcome is a timely prosecution that addresses the facts addresses the confession evidence properly tested in court so these young men get their day in court, unquote. Honestly, she seems very level-headed, and I definitely know that I would not be able to um, manage that like she is. Like, are you kidding me? She's like, I feel sorry for the men who killed her husband because they're sitting in jail waiting around. Like, they would be sitting in jail anyways if the case had happened because they would probably get sent to jail right so like yeah 10 out of 10 sensibility yeah that's for sure so finally on january 20th 2020 like six years after the murder roger's case went to trial almost six years to the day of his murder wow that's insane that is a really long time yeah margaret traveled from her home in london england to saint lucia to provide her witness testimony The trial commenced and saw weeks of expert testimony um, where police discussed the evidence and turned out the DNA evidence in the case. Um, I think they were just rumors that it had been contaminated. Like they still looked at the DNA evidence. They had like a psychologist stand trial or a psychiatric psychiatrist or something um, speak in the trial. And after the trial closed, One month later, on February 21st, 2020, the four men, now in their late 20s and early 30s, were all found guilty. Richie Kieran, Jermon Jones, and Kevin Dervaux were all found guilty of of murder. The fourth man, Fennis Joseph, was found guilty of manslaughter. After receiving the guilty verdicts, Margaret released a statement in which she said, this is a little bit of a long statement because I wanted to read the whole thing. Uh, quote, I'm relieved that after more than six years of waiting, we finally have justice for Roger, who was a wonderful man with a big smile and a great love of life. Nothing can bring him back, but with today's verdict, I can now start moving on with my life, knowing that justice has been done. I want to thank the jury for their careful consideration of the evidence, the attorneys and prosecutors for their tireless work bringing this case to trial, and the people of St. Lucia who have shown me great kindness since Roger's murder in 2014, unquote. And then in April 2021, so a year after the trial and seven years after the murder, this year, after a series of deferments of their sentencing, the men finally received their prison sentences. Kieran, Jones, and Dervaux, who were the ones convicted with murder, were sentenced to 14, 22, and 19 years, respectively. 
Joseph, who was convicted with manslaughter, was sentenced to six and a half years in jail. Do they have time served? So, like, the the time already served? I believe so, yeah. So that one guy with manslaughter is probably not in jail then. Oh, good point. I didn't even think about that. Um, so after the killer's sentencing, Margaret said on St. Lucian News, quote, I still don't understand why it took six years to come to trial, and it isn't just about me. It's never just been about me and my husband's case. There are so many people for whom this lack of transparency impacts, and they are waiting for judgment and for justice for themselves and for their loved ones. And that's the tragedy for me, that it's taken so long, unquote. And it must be hard, too, to, like, be able to, like, move on with your life when you're just like waiting for the case to like go to court because you can't really put it behind you because you have to like give witness testimony and all that kind of stuff like you have to be able to like remember everything that happened and I feel like even like myself like it's like trying to remember something that happened like three years ago like unless like I'm actively remembering it and uh, I'm not going to be able to recount things in, like, detail that would be needed. So, like, to have yeah. to wait, like, six years to be able to tell that story again and, like, be able to have a, someone else's lawyer berate you over what happened, like, I couldn't even imagine having to, like, deal with that. So can definitely understand, like, her sorrow around the, the length of how long it took to go to trial. Yeah. And throughout this, like, I think she was working closely with, like, a lot of the authorities in St. Lucia, and she spoke a number of times about how she was concerned that this was, like, a normal thing in St. Lucia, where people were sitting in jail for years awaiting trial for something they might be found innocent of anyways. So, yeah, so she was concerned, like, you know, not just about herself, but she was also thinking about all the other people that are impacted by this, like, lack of, um... The, what is it in the Miranda rights that you have access to a fair and speedy trial or something? Yeah, their lack of access to a speedy trial. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that is the murder of Roger Pratt and the story of Margaret Pratt's fight for justice. That was a very sad story. Yeah. I'm surprised that St. Lucia has such a high crime rate. Yeah, and I couldn't, I couldn't really find any publicized murders of, uh, like, murders in St. Lucia, unless it was a tourist that was murdered. Yeah, I'm sure that, um, unless it gets picked up by, like, bigger news article, like, companies, that, like, unfortunately, you just don't hear about the stuff that happens to the people actually in the country, and it's only the tourists that get the recognition. I'm sure that, like, there's lots of media about it in St. Lucia for St. Lucian victims. Yeah. But it's all in Creole. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Well, their, their, like, main language is English, but I assume they would have lots of stuff in Creole as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you do want to read more about, like, uh, about Margaret and Roger and Margaret's work in St. Lucia, and on this case, they, you can go to justiceforroger.com. It's, like, a blog that I believe Margaret set up, and Margaret wrote a lot of pieces, so that's where I got her quotes from, was from her own blog. So you can look at the case there. My case is kind of short as well this week, but it's filled with a lot of other things. Um, Oh, okay. My case, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm going to (laughs) cry. Oh, no. Well, where are you going? Uh, I'm taking us to Ethiopia. Okay. 
Um, I don't know why it's like really hitting <laughs> hard for me this week, but I definitely did cry while I was writing it up. Um, yeah, so anyways, I'm taking us to Ethiopia. Um, learned a lot about the country um, researching this. So I'm doing the death of Hannah Lalongo. And my sources for this week were a couple Wikipedia articles, uh, The Guardian, and Al Jazeera America. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Ethiopia first because I feel like I didn't know very much information about it. So let's find out about the country. Um, so Ethiopia, officially the Federal De uh, Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, is a landlocked country in the Horn of Africa. It shares borders with Eritrea, uh, Djibouti. I cannot pronounce countries today. I think you say it Djibouti. Djibouti. I knew Djibouti. that. Djibouti. Djibouti. Did I pronounce the first one right? Eritrea. 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 Yeah, Eritrea. Did Djibouti. Um, Somalia, Kenya, South Sudan, and Sudan. Ethiopia has a total area of 1.1 million square kilometers and over uh, 117 million inhabitants. It is the 12th, 12th most populous country in the world and the second most populous in Africa, which I did not know. Um, the, I didn't know that either. The national capital and the largest city, Addis Ababa, lies several kilometers west of East African Rift that splits the country into the African and the Somali tectonic plates. So, um, Ethiopian national identity is grounded in the historic and contemporary roles of Christianity and Islam, and the independence of Ethiopia from foreign rule stemming from various ancient Ethiopian kingdoms of antiquity. Some of the oldest skeletal evidence for anatomical modern humans has been found in Ethiopia, which is wow. wild. It is widely considered as the region from which modern humans first set out for the Middle East and places beyond. According to linguistics, the first Afro-Asianic-speaking population settled in the Horn region uh, during the ensuing Neolithic, Neolithic era. Tracing its roots to the second millennium BC, Ethiopia's governmental system was a monarchy for most of its history. Oral literature tells us that the monarchy was founded by the Solomonic dynasty of the Queen of Sheba under its first king, Menelik I. I've heard of Queen Sheba before. Yeah, I have too. Um, but that's all. <laughs> yeah. I like, recognize like, the name. Queen Sheba. Yes. Know her. No, I don't. <laughs> I know her name. Um, during the late 19th century, scramble for Africa, Ethiopia, and Liberia were the only two nations that preserved sovereignty from long-term colonization by a European colonial power, and many newly independent nations on the continent adopted its flag colors green, gold, and red. So I actually saw a video about that where Ethiopia is one of the only like two countries in Africa that were never colonized. Yeah. But like I think it's crazy. Isn't that, that insane? Yeah. 
Um, it did get colonized a little bit for a very, very short period of time, but I think it's really cool that like a lot of countries in Africa were like, wait, hold up, let us use the flag, the colors of your flag and our flag because you guys <laughs> weren't colonized like the rest of us. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's very sad to yeah. think about. Um, during this period, um, Ethiopia established its modern borders through extensive conquests, of territories to its east and west and south. Um, Ethiopia was the first independent African member of the League of Nations and the United Nations. The country was occupied by Italy in 1936 and became Italian Ethiopia as part of the Italian East Africa until it was liberated during World War II, five years after 1941. Um, so during the Italian rule, the government abolished the century-old practice of slavery and urbanization steadily increased. In 1974, the long-standing Ethiopian monarchy under Haile Selassie was overthrown by the Derg, a communist military government backed by the Soviet Union. In 1987, the Derg, a communist military government backed by the Soviet Union, in 1987, the Derg established the People's Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, which was overthrown in 1991 by the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, who have been uh, the ruling political coalition until 2019, which was succeeded by Abiy Ahmed's Party of Prosperity Party. Um, Ethiopia is a multilingual nation with around 80 ethno-linguistic groups. Um, the four largest are Oromo, Amahara, Somali, and Tigrayans. Tigrayans. A majority of the population adheres to Christianity, and the historical kingdom of Aksum was one of the first states to officially adopt the religion. A third of the country follow Islam, primarily the Sunni sect of the religion. Uh, the country is the site of the Islamic migration to Abyssinia and the oldest Muslim site in Africa at Nagash. Um, a substantial population of Ethiopian Jews, known as Beta Israel, also resided in Ethiopia until the 1980s. Okay, a little bit more about the country. The nation is a land of geographical contrast, ranging from vast fertile wests with its forests and numerous rivers, to the world's hottest settlement of Dalol in its north. The Ethiopian highlands are the largest continuous mountain ranges in Africa, and the Sof Omar Caves contain the largest cave on the continent. Um, Ethiopia is also the second largest uh, number of the UNE SCO World Heritage Sites in Africa. The sovereign state is found is a founding member of the UN, the Group of 24, the G24, the Non-Aligned Movement, the G77, and the Organization of African Unity. Addis Ababa, which is the capital of Ethiopia, serves as the headquarter of the African Union, the Pan-African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, the United Nations Economic Commission for Africa, the African Standby Force, and many of the global NGOs focused in Africa. Which, like, wow. all of this is, like, 
new to me. New information to us, yeah. Like, I had absolutely no idea that Ethiopia was such a forefront in, like, African, the, the continent of Africa's, like, like, everything. But, like, also the world. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, what? So, uh, that's... Why don't they teach us this in school? I don't know. Here's where the bad parts come in, though. <laughs> oh, no. In the 1970s and 80s, Ethiopia experienced civil conflict and communist purges, which hindered its economy. The country has since recovered and, as of 2010, has the largest economy by GDP in East Africa, but it still remains one of the poorest countries, facing poverty, hunger, corruption, weak infrastructure, poor respect for human rights, and limited access to health and education, with a literacy rate of only 49%, ranking it in the worst quartile of the Human Development Index. Wow. Which is just insane to me. Like, I don't understand how they have the largest GDP and economy, but, like, one of, like, the worst rankings in the Human Development Index. Like It must be, like... Like, maybe their GDP is based on, like, manufacturing or something, like, quote-unquote, low, lower-scaled rather than higher-scaled. And I wonder, because if um, Addis Ababa is, like, the center for, like, a lot of African things, that just brings the GDP up because they've got so much of, like, the continental and global, um, like, forefronts in... Yeah, in the- like, a lot of government work and um like ngo work that boosts the economy yes exactly okay so now that we know a little bit about ethiopia we're going to hop right into the case it's kind of funny because both of our cases take place in 2014 i just realized that oh wow yeah does yours also not get justice until 2020 uh no mine mine's pretty quick Um, So on October 1st, 2015, Hannah Lilongo, 16 years old, reportedly left the private school she attended in the city's A.R. Tena neighborhood around 4 p.m. Hannah was the youngest of six siblings um, and complained about not feeling well before she left for school that day. Um, She was a typical young girl, a timid and respectful child. She was really nice. Like, I'm already ready to cry, and I haven't even talked about any of this. Um, uh, Hannah's brother um, told Blen Sahalu, who um, was the first to post the story of Hannah on Facebook as part of the Justice for Hannah campaign. Um, So Hannah entered a shared taxi that already had a couple of passengers um, when she was leaving her school, but she did not return from school to her home in the Ethiopian capital of Addis Ababa at the usual time. Her father, Lalongo Heyeso, was worried about his youngest daughter. We waited for her at her usual time, but we had to wait 11 days to hear that she had been abandoned on the street and she was incapacitated and couldn't even get up. Oh my gosh. It is unclear at what point Hannah knew that she was being kidnapped, but the culprits allegedly threatened the teen with a knife and took her to one of the suspects' home. Reports vary, but Hannah's father told the local media that she was raped for at least five days. Hannah's kidnappers had other plans. They apparently contacted her sisters by phone, perhaps to kidnap them as well. 
They met the sisters at an arranged place, driving the same minibus, and reportedly asked them to come along. When they refused, the men drove off, exclaiming, you won't see your sister then. Oh my gosh. On October 11th, Hannah was found unconscious in an abandoned area in the suburb of the city, near Quiriano. She was taken to the hospital. My phone rang 11 days after Hannah disappeared. She, it was the voice I missed, Hannah's father told the U.S.-based um, Admas radio. She was weak and exhausted. For the next few days, this is the part that makes me really upset. For the next few days, the family took her to various referral hospitals and waited to be admitted. Among oh. other injuries, um, skip forward if you have a queasy stomach, uh, Hannah suffered from rectovaginal fistulas and died 19 days after she was found. She reportedly identified three of the five suspects from her hospital bed. On November 19th, police brought five suspects before the first appearance court in Addis Ababa. During a hearing attended by journalists and women's rights groups, one of the suspects pleaded innocence and all five denied the allegations, telling the courts that their initial confessions were obtained under duress. The police denied torturing the suspects and asked for 14 days to conduct uh, further investigation. Um, in that month, the final trial was heard in the third criminal bench of the Ledeta Federal High Court. Hannah could have been saved. The police were in slow to investigate a case as a, a sexual crime. The hospitals failed to treat Hannah's case with the utmost urgency uh, the situation demanded. Hannah spent days on the street after su suffering the pr brutal gang rape and it took her a few days to call her parents and seek help. It remains unclear whether she, whether this was planned or a random incident, but Hannah's story is far from isolated. So she was gone for 11 days. She was held hostage for five and then left out on the street for six days. That's horrible. And no, no one helped her in those six days that she was on the street? No, I guess not. And then when she finally got help, the hospitals... They basically just sent her, referring her to other places instead of actually admitting her and getting her help. Well, if they don't have good healthcare infrastructure, they might have not even had space for her. Yeah, so very, very sad. Samson, Selesh, and Bezab G. Mariam was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Bekalu G. Medhini, um... Aphram Ayela and Temsijen Segeya um, have been sentenced to 17, 20, and 18 years in prison. Um, so, I mean, at least her captors are behind bars. Yeah. Um, Ethiopia is a deeply patriarchal, closed, and conservative country. It has one of the most it has one of the highest rates of sexual violence in the world. More than 70% of Ethiopian women have faced sexual and physical violence according to a study done by the World Health Organization. 7% of girls surveyed by who reported experiencing sexual abuse before the age of 15. 17% said that their first sexual experience was forced and the country has one of the highest rates of bridal kidnapping and marriage by abduction. Oh my god. 
um, the prevalence of sexual abuse, violence, and the inadequacy of the response to it are very much connected to the gender inequality in Ethiopia. Of the 142 countries ranked in the 2014 Gender Gap Index, Ethiopia rates, ranks 127th, making almost no notable progress in the last nine years. And that was in 2014. Wow. With little support from political or the legal system, women who have been victims of violence turn to NGOs. However, the effectiveness of these organizations are limited by the state. The 2009 Ethiopian Charities and Societies Proclamation explicitly forbids Ethiopian char uh, charities and societies from receiving more than 10% of their funding from foreign sources. Why? This is significant because many of the organizations that advocate for causes such as human oh. rights and gender equality rely on international funding to operate. I see. Um, most women and girls keep incidents of rape and sexual abuse secret to avoid societal shunning, but 39% never talk to anyone about the violence or the violations that they endure, according to WHO. Even fewer women ask authorities for help. <laughs> Clearly Milo's <laughs> upset about this. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what the hell? Some 53% feared repercussions and threats from their partners, while another 37% considered the violence normal or not serious. Wow. Yeah, which is, like, to, to, to be abused and think that that is normal and that's the way that your life should be breaks my heart. Um, we're still... <laughs> we're just digging another deeper hole. Um, most gender-based violence is solved through family arbitration and socially sanctioned compensation for the victim's families. As a result, women often don't feel the need to go public with their stories. Therefore, it is not surprising that Hannah's kidnappers reportedly sent elders seeking re reconciliation with her parents even as Hannah clung to her last breath in her hospital bed. Oh my gosh. It is an untold story of countless women who live with the trauma and guilt of sexual violence. There is simply no good reason or justification for a man to ever put his hands on a woman, and no woman should ever have to go through this in the 21st century, but there are few guarantees. The violence of the attack and the extent of her injuries caused a flood of outrage in Addis Ababa and found expression on social media. The incident and death of Hannah has thrown a spotlight on how cultural attitudes could have facilitated this act of violence. There were mass reactions from Facebook protests um, where persis uh, there was mass, mass reactions um, from Facebook's um, protests were persisted in a Twitter page called Justice for Hannah was formed thereafter. Hannah's story received um, scant attention from government-run media. Hannah's story only saw the light of day thanks to the social media. Only a handful of Ethiopian outlets carried the story, offering a brief account of Hannah's kidnapping and rape. The Ministry of Women's Affairs held a press conference and pledged to assist with the investigation. However, the ministry lacks the power and the necessary resources to address the persuasive violence against women in Ethiopia. Independent human rights work is severely restricted. There is no community-based initiatives that can deal with the culturally sanctioned harassment, abuse, and dis discrimination against women. 
Um, I wanted to end this off um, on a statement that Blen Sahalu um, posted. Um, she was the one um, who helped start the Justice uh, for mm-hmm. Hannah movement. And it, like it is like, I think one of the most like powerful things that I've read in a while. So as Blen noted, rape is not about sex. It is about tradition, traditional notions of power. Our society shames and disempowers victims, while the rapists are left off the hook under the cover of cultural and traditionalism. Nothing could ever bring back Hannah, but her death is an opportune moment for Ethiopian women to unite and fight to end end gender-based violence. It is the least we can do to honor Hannah. And that's the death of Hannah Lilongo. <laughs> well, I made Megan and I cry, so. <laughs> and Milo is crying right now, too. <laughs> Screaming for attention. Um, hopefully, I didn't make you cry as well. <laughs> Clearly, I have a soft spot <laughs> for gender based violence. You know. I know we are a world away and it is, you know, we will never understand some of the life experiences that Hannah had, but this happens to women all across the world. Men everywhere around the world rape women, abuse women, murder women for no reason. So every time we hear a story like what happened to Hannah... It happens all around the world, so you see your sisters in those stories. You see your best friends in those stories. You see every woman you know and love in stories like these. So it's really hard to not get emotional. Because it happens to women everywhere men everywhere do this to women and that's not okay it's not okay anywhere and so yeah it's it's really hard not to get emotional about this stuff i think for me i hold feminism so clear dearly in my heart because of cases like this yes we, we, Megan and I, are so, we live in such, a, like, a, a safe environment compared to a lot of people. Like, we're middle class, we're white, we live in, you know, a good country. And for 16-year-old girls to be gang-raped and left on the street to be dead just breaks my heart that such small, small humans have to go through anything like that. Like, it's not fair. It's just not fair. Like, there's, there's no reason why that should be happening. And there's no reason for countries and governments to sweep that kind of stuff under the rug. Women 
basically make up 50% of the population, if not more. But you treat them like they're not even a part of your country? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And it just breaks my heart. And I think that's why we all need feminism, because we're not fighting for equalities here in Canada. I mean, we are, but the the equalities that we're fighting for are so minuscule to others around the world who are being kidnapped and abducted to become brides for people that they don't know or to be raped. Like, it just blows my mind. If you want to learn a little bit more, um, the Al Jazeera America um, article that I read um, was written um, by Tijist Jemmy, um, and she is a former lecturer at the Addis Ababa University and currently lives in um, Washington, D.C. Um, she, yeah, so she was a lecturer at a university and she talks about her moving to Ethiopia and what she dealt with as a woman in Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa, um, and just, like, the awful things that happened to her as well. Like, it, it was a, it was a really difficult article to, to read, but, um, it was very beautifully written, and I think it definitely is a, a massive eye-opener. That was a really good job covering a really important and very, really very sad case, Tegan. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so I think we should move on to happier things, yeah. because it's much needed. I'll start off. Pictures okay. surfaced of Olivia Wilde. We're starting off strong with a Harry Styles update. And I don't know why I want to call Jason Sudeikis Zach Galifianakis, but it is <laughs> Jason Sudeikis. And they were all love B. So, I'm just saying, there's something, something very fishy there. Very funny. And Harry. Very weird. I Did you see the TikTok I just sent you before this about Harry? Let me see. <laughs> It's an ick. It's an ick. No. It's a Harry Styles ick. He can never have an ick. Oh, him holding his nose while he goes, jumps into the water? While he jumps into the ocean, yes. Okay, but listen. I talked to Megan about this a little while ago. Don't think that we talked about this on this case. Or on the podcast. Um, I I tried uh, laying in my bathtub like Meredith Grey and... (laughs) like submerging my head underwater and I literally couldn't do it I kept breathing in through my nose every single time I put my head under the water so if your boy has to hold his nose closed while he jumps into the water I'm okay with it because also I did a lot of jumping into lakes and oceans and rivers the last week um and let me tell you it it hurts when you get water up your nose but to get water out your nose, all you have to do is breathe out your nose as you hit the water. Okay, well, Megan, I don't know how to do that, apparently. Just, just I breathe in every single time. <laughs> I don't know why. I literally, my sinuses were so screwed up when we came back from uh, swimming in the lake. 
um, when I was on my little vacation because I kept jumping off the boat into the lake to go swimming and my sinuses got like all like, I don't know, blasted with water. It sounded like I had a sinus infection. I know, I know how that feels when you jump into the water and, or like you fall in unexpectedly and you don't have time to like blow out your nose or whatever. It like feels like someone's shoved their fingers up your nostrils and like poked their nails at the top of your sinuses. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Yeah, it really When you does. get water up your nose. It hurts. It, it, it kind of has the same feeling as a brain freeze. Yeah. But like a forceful, like punch in the face brain freeze. Yeah. It's like a stabby one. Also, I went on vacation. That was that's a happy thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was still so went fun. on vacation. Maybe by the maybe way. I'll post some pictures of all the adventurous things that I did. I went fishing. I went swimming in the ocean. I jumped off of a cliff, you guys, with a rope, off of a rope swing, or as they call it in Powell River, a zunga. I've never oh, yeah, done that. Yeah, zunga. Before. Oh, you know what the word zunga means? Yep. yep. Okay. Obviously, it's a it's a. No, it's a Powell River thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, Sunshine Coast. <laughs> no. Because that's the only time I've ever heard anyone call a rope swing a zunga was in Powell River. Um, yeah. The Powell River Brewing Company has a, a, a has a zunga Blondale or yeah, something. Yeah, they do. That's kind of how I know. But also, I, people here know. But they don't call them zungas. Yeah. What else did I do? I went camping. I chased sunsets. I went boating. I lived my best life, you guys. I love the Sunshine Coast. It is, like, truly probably one of the best places on Earth. Like, anywhere near the ocean, it has to be, like, the best place. Any, like, not necessarily a city near the ocean, but, like, kind of like a small town. There's a lot more wilderness, like, no big city. There's generally less people. That is... Any place like that in the world, that's got to be the best place in the world. Honestly, I think it's just, like, the, like, proximity of lakes to oceans. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to go jump in the water, but let me tell you, this long-ass hair does not do well in the salty water for extended periods of time. However, if we're jumping into lakes or rivers, after a day at the beach... My hair is so silky smooth. Dude... Growing up, we would always spend our summers at the cabin. I'm on the Sunshine Coast right now at my cabin. Yeah, like a rude... My parents' cabin. Rude. Rude. Um, Let's tell the listeners. How long have Tegan and Megan been friends? How long? Like 15 years? Yeah. How many times has Tegan been to Megan's cabin? Uh, You were invited, but you just couldn't come. I was invited once, but I got in trouble, so I couldn't go. And that's, oh, that's the last time an invitation has been extended to Tegan. It's fine. It's COVID. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you would have been up here more frequently if I had lived in Vancouver for the past, like, whatever years. But I didn't live in Vancouver, so I never came up here. Yeah. And then when you started coming up here, it was COVID. Yeah. Um, and Megan and I just recently have been able to start seeing each other again, so you never know. Yep, I never know. Um, but anyways, like I was saying, we would spend all day in the ocean, and then instead of showering at night, we would just jump in the lake and wash the salt water off of us. Like the lake is like five minutes down the road, ten minutes down the road. Beautiful. So I have another update. 
Um, I am double dosed down. Double dosed down. I got my second COVID dose on Friday, two days ago, from when we're recording this. And it was the worst experience of my life. That's a little bit dramatic, but I had such a bad reaction. I had fever and chills and a horrible sleep and a headache the next day. It was not fun, let me tell you. I can believe you. But no one else I know has reacted like that to their second Pfizer dose. I've, I've had, like, mixed reviews. Like, I've heard a lot of people, like, the second one, like, really knocks them out. And then, like, other half of the people I know that have gotten their second vaccine, it's like, yeah. But, like, do a couple little uh, circles with your arm and you're fine. <laughs> do flip! <laughs> do flip! <laughs> Sorry, that popped into my head. <laughs> Anyways, in other news, I got my toes painted today i went to good thing this isn't a video because then we'd have to charge (laughs) i got gel polish on my toes it's lavender um megan when you come back into town we have to go to this place because when i tell you best service i've ever had in my entire life i'm telling you foot massage leg massage hot stone massage on your legs hot towel service on your legs and your feet where did you go to it's called it's called i'll give them a shout out because you know what they deserve it it's called hd nails in uh queensboro it's right beside the marble slab and across from the starbucks did you just hear that oh. that was milo jumping out of my laundry hamper oh that's funny hi chicken head interesting yeah mm. i can't get pedicures though because when they put my feet into that little bath it makes me need to pee my pants that's unfortunate for you (laughs) because i as soon as my feet go into like water i'm like "Uh oh what do you do when you go swimming pee in the pool pee in the lake no if my entire body's in there it's fine Mm -hmm. if i'm in a bathing suit it's fine but if i'm not dressed to swim and if i'm not swimming i get the overwhelming urge that i have to go to the bathroom that's so strange yeah (laughs) and then when they like touch my feet they tickle (laughs) and then i'm like in the chair like (laughs) (laughs) you like a kid internalized screaming you're like (laughs) yeah trying not to um be squirmish uh, yeah embarrass myself um, and scream in the entire salon. Should we pull our places for next episode? Yes, I think we should. Okay. I think we should. And while we do this, I'm going to talk about CoStar, the app. Because I write myself little notes in it every once in a while. And one came up for me today, or actually yesterday at 9.53pm. And I'd like to share... This wise, wise, wise information that I wrote to myself. Today's reminder. If anyone makes you feel bad for setting boundaries, they were probably benefiting from you having none. Just a little food for thought there. Wow. Did you write that yourself or did you like... I found it on the internet. (laughs) Internet. On the Instagram? I think it was on Instagram. It might have been somewhere else. But I saw that. I was like, hmm, 
need to make a mental note of that. So I put it in CoStar. And that's very good. That was that. Okay, Tegan, would you like to know where you're going next week? Yes, please. Or I guess in two weeks. Oh yeah, in two weeks. Yeah. You are going to Thailand. Ooh. And I am going to Gibraltar. Ooh. Gibraltar. I had a professor from Gibraltar once. And I was like, wait a second. I did not know Gibraltar existed. What a fun little fact. Okay, well, thank you for listening this week. Um, we will talk to you in two weeks' time at where we will be going to Gibraltar and Thailand. Mm -hmm. I, I can't wait to go to Gibraltar. I can't Very wait to go to Thailand. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Destination Murder Pod. Leave us a rating and a review. Uh, subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe. And we will be in your ear holes next week. And as they say in St. Lucia, where they speak English, goodbye. And as they say in... Uh, One of the 80 languages in I'm Ethiopia. Bahani Huni. Bahani huni. Lovely. Bahani huni. Uh, ciao. Oh, you darchi. <laughs> <laughs>